Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Hub and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a cup of coffee. I mean, also it would benefit from a tagline, but right now mostly it would benefit from a cup of coffee. You see, my work schedule has gone all higgledy-piggledy lately, which means that I am recording this at 6 a.m. I know, there's a 6 in the a.m. now. I am not crazy about this development. Sure, I like 6 o'clock in the evening, fine. It's a perfectly reasonable hour. Not my favorite, but an okay time to get an early dinner, say. But I gotta tell you, I am not a fan of this grim and gritty reboot that they're doing in the AM now. Get some new ideas, clocks. You don't need to reboot everything. Stop counting on people's nostalgia for supper time, getting them to slog through this ridiculous prequel you've just come up with. No thank you. Nah, but you didn't come here to hear me yell at clocks. Unless you did, in which case you've certainly gotten your money's worth. But probably, you came here to hear about a comic book. So tell you what, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Eric Engelhard. Night Nurse is the best fictional healthcare sis. Now it's time for Hub's clinical synopsis. Thanks, Eric. Tales of the Teen Titans, number 58, October 1985. Victor, Victorious. Written by Marv Wolfman, drawn by Chuck Patton, inked by Romeo Tangal, lettered by Bob LaPan, colored by Adrian Roy, and edited by Marv Wolfman. Teen Titan Roll Call, Cyborg, Wonder Girl, Nightwing, Beast Boy, Starfire, Jericho. Previously in Tales of the Teen Titans, Victor Stone, a.k.a. Cyborg, decided to undergo a dangerous experimental surgery that would make his robot parts look less robot-y. Once his surgeon, Star Labs Dr. Janae Clyburn, completed the operation, the significantly less shiny Victor looked terrific, but was now unable to use his superpowers because his new plastic replacement parts might not stand the strain. Vic underwent an extensive training montage with his new physical therapist, Dr. Sarah Charles. Despite a rocky start, the two developed a grudging admiration for one another, based on their shared love of push-ups and acrimonious banter. But Vic and Dr. Charles weren't the only characters getting to know one another, for across the river in New Jersey, the Titans' longtime numerically named nemeses the Fantastic Five were getting to know a new member of their own criminal cohort. Having ditched the team's founder, the terrible facial hair having Dr. Light, the Fearsome Five found themselves forced to temporarily rebrand as the Fearsome Five Minus One. Unhappy with this cumbersome moniker, the discontented quartet of crumbums decided to bolster their ranks by busting an evil magic user from India named Jinx out of prison. With the addition of this prestidigitous powerhouse, the Fearsome Five Minus One became the Fearsome Five Minus One Plus One, but their recruitment drive didn't end there. Gaining confidence, the quintet of crooks broke into Star Labs to free their next member, the nondescript nuclear-powered ne'er-do-well Neutron. Unfortunately for our insidious antagonist, Neutron was sealed in a complicated containment soon from which even the team's resident technomancer Gizmo was unable to free him. 
Undeterred, the perfidious prisoner pilferers returned to Star Labs and kidnapped the one person they believed capable of freeing Neutron from his radiation-proof restraints, Dr. Clyburn. When Victor saw that the FFMOPO intended to depart with his doctor, the now inconspicuous crime fighter posed as her assistant and insisted that the amoral assholes abduct him as well. Once they had been deposited at their captor's secret New Jersey lair, Vic and Clyburn got to work on their clever scheme. They rigged Neutron's high-tech restraints to explode, and while the FFMOPO were distracted by their fiery blast, they escaped. Hooray! Or not so hooray because the distraction-inducing detonation had some decidedly unfortunate side effects. A. Neutron was now free and the Fearsome 5 minus 1 plus 1 was now the Fearsome 5 minus 1 plus 2. And 2. Cyborg's new plastic parts were unable to withstand the strain of being caught in the explosion's blast zone and the subsequent effort of leaping to safety. Victor and Clyburn were free, but without immediate high-tech medical attention, Victor would soon die. Gad Zooks! Will our imperiled protagonist and his predominantly plastic prosthetics persevere? What is the sinister scheme of this new supervillainous sextet? And now that the fearsome 5 minus 1 plus 2 feature four members with ill defined nonsense abilities, can anything defeat them? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so. The protagonist, yes, the plastic parts, no. Um, just kind of general menace and some vague hand-waving about taking over New York. And, yep, a tried-and-true combination of teamwork, mind control, and a convenient DSX machina. Hooray! A now-free Neutron strolls out of his recently exploded containment thingy and is like, What the fuck just happened? Did you guys try to blow me up? Because I hate that. Now start blabbing before I use my ill-defined nuclear nonsense powers to blow yous to smithereens. Simon with a P steps in and is like, Now, now, my nondescript friend. We're all evil supervillains here, and several of us have ill-defined nonsense abilities of one sort or another. Jinx here has ill-defined mystical nonsense powers. Shimmer can turn stuff into other stuff. Gizmo can invent nonsense weapons out of random trash, and I myself have ill-defined psionic abilities that can do pretty much whatever I can think of, except when they can't. Oh, and Mammoth is big, and good at punches. With you as a member of the fearsome, however many of us there are, just think what we could accomplish. Neutron replies, just so long as we're evil, that's the important thing. Now what was you thinking we'd accomplish anyways? Oh, um, I guess we'll just wreck stuff. I think if we break enough things and bully people, then they'll give us the city. Or maybe we have to eat the mayor? I'm not really sure. Let's just break stuff for now. The other bad guys agree that breaking stuff and being mean sounds like a good plan, so they call the police and tell them that's what they're going to do. Okay. Nice that they phoned ahead. Captain Hall of the NYPD, the only responsible adult to ever appear in this title, isn't too thrilled about the fearsome math problems plan, so he tells the Titans to patrol the city and keep on the lookout for supervillains, which is pretty much their job description anyway. Then he has all the police officers in the city line up on the docks, which 
seems a little short-sighted. I mean, sure, there's a pretty high percentage of comic book crime that takes place on the docks, but you should probably leave some cops to arrest the criminals who are in warehouses, or at the circus, or, um, I guess it's just those three places. Central Park is pretty much just for alien invasions and superhero misunderstanding. Still, seems like the reasonable percentage of the city's law enforcement officers to deploy to the docks for no apparent reason would be one-third. But what the fuck do I know? Turns out that Captain Hall's hunch pays off. Simon with a P and his five shitty pals show up and start enacting their clever scheme of unfocused menace. They start pushing the cops around and breaking the docks. Bad move, bad guys. If you break all the docks, then you'll have to do all your crimes at circuses and warehouses. Think things through. Plus, what if 90s heartthrob Stephen Dorff has finally taken my advice and is down there unloading boxes and pretending Tim Conway's his dad? Won't someone please think of 90s heartthrob Stephen Dorff and my plans for his career? Fortunately, before the fearsome fuckwits can cause too much damage, the Teen Titans show up and start getting their thwart on. An issue-long dockside Donnybrook breaks out. Hooray! Starfire shoots some magic space fire at Simon with a P, which seems to do a real number on the aquarium-hatted asshole. Then she tries to shoot her magic space fire at Neutron, but he just shrugs it off. Jinx uses her mystical malarkey to melt some cops into a pile of goo, which is gross, but she insinuates that she's probably going to change them back later, which seems implausible, but whatever. Wonder Girl throws a car at her, which she doesn't seem crazy about. Nightwing uses his acrobatic training to smack Gizmo into the side of a building, KOing the diminutive device designer. Mammoth tries to hug Wonder Girl to death, but Beast Boy changes into an elephant and punches him through some boats. Shimmer gets pissed that her brother got elephant punched so thoroughly, and tries to kill Donna and Gar, but Nightwing throws one of his metal frisbees at her head, which conks her out pretty good. Jinx gets tired of non-lethal cop melting and takes a break to sneak around in an alleyway and watch the fight. She thinks the Titan's teamwork is pretty impressive. She's probably about to do some kind of a magical sucker punch on him when Jericho ambushes her and takes over her body. With the majority of the fearsome integer to be named later temporarily out of action, Nightwing, Beast Boy, Starfire, and Wonder Girl gang up on Neutron. That doesn't go so great. The fission-flinging felon blasts the heroes with his nuclearness and sends them sprawling. While the other heroes and villains are mixing it up, Simon with a P is busy getting kidnapped by a sullen space god with a new wave hairdo named the Monitor and his partner, Harbringer, a pupilless lady wearing an asymmetrical bathing suit who seems to be taking full advantage of the little publicized volumizing effect that the vacuum of space has on a teased-out 80s hairdo. The mismatched pair of space nappers tell Simon with a P that they yoinked him because they will need him to take part in a 12-part miniseries called Crisis on Infinite Earths that will be heading to newsstands in 1986. Good to know. While Simon with a P is getting abducted by a DC house ad for an upcoming title, Dr. Janae Clyburn is rushing Cyborg to Star Labs to perform a life-saving re-robotification surgery on the injured teen. As he is wheeled into the OR, Vic laments the fact that his friends never got to see his faux-flesh facade before it got all melted up. He never got the chance to once again walk down the street without being gawked at. Bummer. 
Meanwhile, back at the docks, the tables seem to have turned. Mammoth and Shimmer have woken up, while Starfire, Nightwing, Wonder Girl, and Beast Boy are knocked out. The non-space-napped members of the fearsome... several pick up a still-snoozing gizmo and resume their aimless reign of terror. They've barely begun to smash when suddenly Jinx turns on her teammates and starts magic-zapping them. Oh, that's right, Jericho's still hiding inside her. Neat! The possessed spell-slinger sorcerously smacks her squad mates around for a while. Then Jericho jumps into a still-groggy gizmo and continues to sow dissension amongst the discombobulated do-batters until the rest of our titular teenagers regain consciousness. Once they are awake, the Titans beat the shit out of their disoriented opponents and cart them off to super prison. Hooray! I mean, they'll probably escape in a week or two, but whatever. I'd say the penal system for supervillains in the DCU has a revolving door policy, but I don't think anyone with superpowers knows how to use a door. They tend to just Kool-Aid man their way through walls so they can beat each other up. Hooray! The system works. Then we get an epilogue. Then we get an epilogue where a convalescing cyborg talks to the friends, family, and teammates who are gathered around his hospital bed. He's like, Hey, remember the stuff I said earlier in the issue about not wanting to be stared at and treated like a freak? Well, never mind that, because it's what's inside that counts. And friendship was the real treasure all along. And stay in school. Man, these painkillers are something else. Then we get another epilogue. Later that night, at the Titan's T-shaped skyscraper, the rest of the gang shows Jericho the life-sized wall poster they had made of him, signifying that he is now officially part of the team. Hooray! The mutton-chopped Marvel is so stoked that he picks up Beast Boy like he is accepting a trophy and dances around while the rest of the gang laughs and cheers. Ah. Also... I gotta admit, I thought he was a member already. Have the last 14 issues just been an unpaid internship? Not cool. I wonder if it took the Titans longer to warm up to Jericho, because he's the only one on the team whose parents are both alive and living on the same planet as him. That's a heck of a cross for a teenage crime fighter to bear. I bet the other teens tease him about that. Kids can be so cruel. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I understand you had a birthday over the weekend. I did. Thank you, everybody, for the nice things. Hub was kind enough to let the world know that I was turning older, and some people said nice things about it on the social medias. Well, that's because everybody loves you, Corey. You're a nice man. Why, thank you. So, yeah, it was good. Glad to hear it. Thank you. I went to Colorado. How was that? It was pretty good. I went on a tour of uh, the Celestial Seasonings Tea Factory. I uh, hiked in a mountain. Dude, did you meet those super stoned musician animals? No, which is a goddamn missed opportunity for their part. Because they did have a giant version of the, like, sleepy time bear. Oh, yeah. Like, he wasn't doing a meet and greet. It was, Mm -hmm. like, a stuffed animal version. Right. But... I feel like if they had a Chuck E. Cheese-style animatronic band of those stoned forest creatures, Mm -hmm. or that just, like, raccoons playing the sliced-up lemon like a bongo drum, Mm -hmm. place would be off the fucking chain. They should... They had so many animals they could turn into animatrons. Yeah, and, like, all of their old, like, tea packages that they used to use, and most of the ones that they still do, are, like, 
weird, almost like Boris Vallejo style, like adventure scenes. I don't know. I feel like they could do more with that. Mm -hmm. That being said, I don't like to brag. I learned a lot about herbal tea. Oh, yeah? Yeah, and uh, I drank kind of a lot of free tea samples. Whoa. So, pretty good. And then I hiked in a mountain, and I uh, saw a uh, land lobster. You showed me the picture. It looked pretty scary. Yeah, I didn't know those were a thing. And apparently, they're not a thing. But I saw one, and I have a picture. It's proof. Mm Mm-hmm. The proof of the pudding is a picture of the pudding, and the pudding is shaped like a goddamn lobster that was walking across a fucking trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looked like you disturbed it. Well, it disturbed me, frankly. It was a disturbing image. It was a little disturbing. Uh, Lisa and I were uh, hiking around a pond, and there was, in the middle of the path, good 20, 25 feet from the water, a, uh, like, say about six to seven inch land lobster. Maybe a crayfish? Maybe a lobster that went feral, starting its own community of artists in the mountains. Nobody knows. It's very brave. Yeah, he was very brave. Yeah. So was I. Bravery abounded. Yeah, well, the Rockies are known for two things. Inspiring bravery and being the dividing line as to whether your mayonnaise is known as Hellman's or Best Foods. (laughs) That's the two things that everybody knows about the Rockies. Mm -hmm. You want to talk about a comic book? I think we should. Corey? Yep. What'd you think of this comic book? I thought it was okay. Yeah. It was fun. It was what was promised. Indeed. Yeah, the, the opening page is basically just like, hey, nothing deep's gonna happen, but uh, should be fun. Bunch of super folks are gonna fight each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened. Yep. So, okay. Yeah, it was pretty good. I still remain a little bit annoyed by the thing we keep seeing where there's people with powers that can just do whatever. Yeah. And uh, so that happens whenever Shimmer shows up. And Jinx. And Jinx. And Simon with a P. Yep. So. And and when Raven shows up, same thing. But uh, Raven didn't show up again. She's still in the car. Yep. Because of that and that concentration of those whatever powers, you would think that the fearsome five... Plus what? No, the, the, oh, the math changed since since it's ne- Neutron the showed fearsome, up. Fearsome four minus one plus two, which I believe even Police Captain Hall mentioned something of the fearsome four are back, but they've got another person with them. Yeah, so they're back to the five. Seriously, guys, just fucking rebrand. Yep, you're just causing everybody confusion. So anyway, they got three of those guys with whatever powers. You'd think they could beat everybody. Yeah, and I think everybody kind of makes the point. Even Gizmo, when he awakes from his stupor with what I really hope will be his new catchphrase and the Thing's old catchphrase, what happened? It was written exactly the same way as the Thing's when he said it, too. Yeah, I can't remember if Wolfman was the editor on that Marvel team-up where that happened, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was and was just like, well, that's how you spell that phrase. I'm putting that in a book someday. And that someday came. He (laughs) cashed in his chips. Yeah. Oh, what a delight. Yeah. So that was a real treat. But yeah, when, is it Gizmo or Shimmer? Somebody mentions, but we should have beaten you. We have all the powers and you guys don't. And Nightwing's like, you ever hear the story of Davy and Goliath? Pretty sure he meant David and Goliath. Davy and Goliath is like a claymation christian show about a child and a large dog who love jesus whoa i didn't even know that was a thing i thought he was just being cute with the name 
Which he probably thought also. Maybe. I think he might have been referencing it. It's a dog whose name is Goliath says, I don't know, Davy. Hmm. Does that sound familiar? No, but you made the dog sound kind of like Panthro. That's true. <laughs> I wonder if he was also the grandpa on the Cosby show. Yeah, I don't know. No way of knowing for sure. But that also wouldn't make sense to say that because unless that show is about how does a more powerful, a weaker team defeat a more powerful team. Maybe he was saying Jesus helped them? Oh. I mean, that wouldn't be the David and Goliath story because that's Old Testament. Yeah, it's just good marksmanship. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically, I think what they're all saying is like, yeah, they work together as a team and therefore they can defeat any foe. Teamwork makes the dream work. That's what mm-hmm. he was saying. Yeah. So, okay. That's fine. That's a good message. Also, there's just something about the Fearsome Five, whatever their number is, where they just never seem to be able to get their shit together. And so they're treated in this last issue and in this issue as if they are this new big threat. But the story isn't given enough time to breathe or to develop for us to actually think of them as any kind of a threat. Like, when you start a movie, if, like, you're establishing somebody's, like, a super good thief or a super good fighter or whatever, you show a couple of times of things going right before you show things starting to fall apart, or else you just think of them as a buffoon. We've never seen things go right for the fearsome however many, so they just seem like buffoons. It's always framed as a crisis of leadership. Yeah, and that does come up in this, too. Which was a bit of a delight, because I like it whenever anybody, even Simon, disparages Dr. Light. That is fun. But even after that, there's a power struggle within the team, with Neutron thinking he should be in charge, which just seems like a terrible idea. He just wants to blow everything up. The whole apricot. (laughs) Okay. I loved that phrase. He said that after they take over New York City, he wants to go after the big apricot. Is that what they call Metropolis? That's what I was, I was my sort of guess, but I did want to bounce that one off you because I'd never heard that before. That would be my assumption, or maybe... Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, that's peaches, not apricots, right? It's closer than apples. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of fuzzy in the... Yeah. Do you think maybe that emoji that's supposed to be a butt is really an apricot? I'm Do you think sh- that maybe what he's saying is, <laughs> after we take over New York City, I want to go hang out with Sir Mix-a-Lot and conquer the big butts? Yeah, that's probably what he was saying. Yeah, I think so it's wait, pretty... Seattle is... Seattle is probably is the, the big, big apricot. apricot because that's where Sir Mix-a-Lot lives. Coast to coast. And he likes big butts and is incapable of lying. Yeah, he's, he's certainly trustworthy. Mm-hmm. On the topic of big butts. Well, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I guess we figured that <laughs> that one out. Mystery solved. Uh, here's to solving mysteries. The other thing that's fun about Neutron is his dumb accent. He is written having dialogue and a phonetically spelled out accent as though he is the bad guy in a, like, 30s radio drama from Brooklyn. Doiby Dickel. Yeah, totally like a Doiby Dickel's or like anybody, regardless of their position in terms of class, if they are a bad guy in the shadow. Mm -hmm. I think I've talked about this on the show before, but any bad guy in the shadow, 
He's like, oh yeah? Well, I'm the DA in this town, so is what I says goes. You got me? Mm-hmm. It's been a long time since I've listened to the Shadow radio show, but that does ring a bell. Yeah, it's pretty great. So that was fun about Neutron. Other than that, he also never really seems like a threat. You get that he's very powerful, but big deal. Again, crisis of leadership. Yeah. I think if somebody could point his clap-happy atom blasting in the right direction. You had mentioned that. I had not noticed when we were reading it that many of the times when he uses his powers, it is triggered by him clapping at people. I would argue it is every single time. There was one panel where... You see him holding the sides of his head as he fires his power. But you were saying that maybe he had just clapped and it was so loud that then he had to cover up his eardrums. So you've got a notoriously loud clap. I'm a very loud clapper. It's true. Have you ever hurt your own ears because you clap so loud? I don't think so. Okay, well, just imagine that you could cause uh, atomic rays to explode when you clapped. Then maybe your ears would hurt. They probably would. Yeah. I'm just saying. Touché. Things happen off panel. Unless I got those secret hidden earplugs that are advertised <laughs> in the classifieds in this comic book. This comic has the best ads. There are two wonderful ads that are in here. I'm just going to read them. One of them, it took me a while to figure out what they were advertising. It's because it doesn't make any damn sense. The big print says, shut off mom. Then it says, dad, brother, or sister, whenever you want. Look at friends and laugh. (laughs) Nobody knows the secret but you. If you read the fine print, then they are advertising no noise, hideaway secret earplugs. No one will know. That's the stupidest thing. Like, if you are just laughing at people because you can't hear them and they can't tell you're wearing earplugs, how does that make it? Deafness is a terrible practical joke. Like, (laughs) that doesn't show them. But, like, you're pointing and laughing. Because you can't hear. Like, what is the I think it's just like, you're not listening to them. And so the joke's on them. But you can just not listen to people. Invisible earplugs or no. And, you know, you can also just look at people and laugh. It's not nice, but it's not more nice if you can't hear them. Doesn't require my 1985 $1. No, sir. To do that. I can do that for free. These days, that dollar could buy you, I don't know, a swimming pool? I was going to say a whole box of earplugs. Probably that, too. Yeah. And then you could take them back to 1985, sell them, get a dollar each for them, come back here, invest in swimming pools, and soon you'll have enough money to fill up that swimming pool, swim through it like Scrooge McDuck. Man, we really got to get cracking on that time machine. The other ad, which is totally unrelated to anything that happened in this comic book, but is wonderful, is... It's another all-print little tiny box. It's hard to find because of what it is. <laughs> Touché. This one's better at hiding. Mm-hmm. Well, of course. as better at hiding because the title in big, bold letters is, What is Ninja? <laughs> There's like a little picture of a ninja dude. You can be told these deadly techniques. I can be told these deadly techniques? Corey, ultimate in self-defense. What? One dollar. That must be what ninja is. Ultimate in self-defense. Probably. I love the phrase, what is ninja? That's a good headline. It really is. really draws your attention in. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a wonderful PSA about conservation of ninjas. You show a kid in the not-so-distant future talking to their parent and saying... Mommy, 
what's a ninja? Mm. And then the parent just looks really sad. We had so many of them in the 80s. (laughs) We thought those ninjas would last forever. We were wrong. Now they're all gone. Probably. They're very good at hiding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's not a ton to talk about in this comic book. No, good ads. (laughs) Good ads. Lots of fighting. Yep. Good teamwork. Good teamwork for the Titans. All of the uh, Titans in individual combat do pretty well. Nightwing. I'm doing him the honor of calling him Nightwing because he did such a good job with his his uh, acrobatic fight style. Yeah, he uh, he takes out a couple of the Fearsome Five at various points. He takes out Gizmo, he grabs him with his legs and slams him into the side of a building. With a real good trick, though. Like, yeah, he, gets... he flips around a flagpole. I know, but he gets Gizmo to follow him. Uh-huh. Like, so Gizmo's flying after him really fast with his little jetpack, and Robin, I mean Nightwing... Grabs the flagpole, does like a, what do you call that? Like a... A flip? Yeah, kind of like a flip while holding onto the flagpole. Uh Because Gizmo's following him too fast, he can't stop. And so then when Nightwing's legs come around the other side, he grabs him in a little scissor thing and bonks his head into the wall. It was a neat trick. And it was really well illustrated. It Mm -hmm. looked like a good, well choreographed fight scene. And then uh, Shimmer's sassing somebody and he throws a disc at the side of her head and knocks her out. Mm -hmm. That was a good shot. That was pretty fun. Right. Yeah, Wonder Girl's telling her she can never win. She's pissed because Beast Boy turned into a mammoth and rammed Mammoth from behind. Sent him flying. Pretty clever. Yeah, I guess. Bit on the nose, or on the trunk, as it were. <laughs> yeah, so she's all pissed off. She's about to, to fight them all, change them into, I don't know, poison or some shit. And then, uh, bonk! Side of the head with one of his little Nightwing discs. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. He does a great job for a normal-powered person. Yeah, not bad, Nightwing. Mm -hmm. Really, like I said, all of the Titans acquit themselves very well in combat. Wonder Girl has a fun moment where she picks up Mammoth with her lasso and just swings him around over her head for, like, a page, and you kind of forget that it's happened. And then on the next page, somebody else is fighting Neutron, and... She's like, oh, this is where I can put him down. And she bonks him into him, and they're both knocked out, and it's fun. Mm -hmm. There was a bit of banter between her and Beast Boy, where she was like, well, now where should I put him? And Beast Boy says, Australia? Yeah, put him in Australia. That reminded me, they're supposed to be Australian. Oh, that's right. And I always forget it because we get ripped off. We don't get any ridiculously phonetically spelled out Australian accents for Mammoth and Shimmer. And that is a goddamn travesty. That is a real shame. They should be sounding like Jocko and Young Einstein. That's the worst thing about this comic book, that we don't have those accents in there. I know. It's, again, a real missed opportunity. Yeah, while we're sitting here looking at it, we'll probably get to this when we start talking artwork. But the cover is pretty awesome. The cover is awesome. The cover for the last three issues have been awesome. They've all been variations of a big image of cyborg either getting beaten up by the fearsome however many or looming over the fearsome however many and in this one he's holding them all in his hands and uh he's got the fearsome however many in one hand and the titans in the other see which one fills up first do you think uh a young Fleer Anthony Kiedis saw this and that gave them the idea for the cover of the Mother's Milk Red Hot Chili Peppers album. Because <laughs> that's like a lady holding them in their hands. Yeah, it would have come out a couple years after this. Mm. 
I don't think necessarily the lady on that album cover was pretty different looking than Cyborg. I know, it's just a perspective. I got the cassette tape of that for Christmas. My grandparents bought it for me one year because I had it on my Christmas list. Bought that for and me. And then too. they said they were very disappointed in me for asking for it when they gave it to me. Oh, because like you didn't have to buy it because it had, the, had uh, a boob. Was, yeah, I made my grandpa listen to it in the car. Oh my goodness! On the way home from wherever it was, did he like the Magic Johnson song? He didn't like it at all. He I wouldn't like imagine so. Music. He liked like. Barbershop music, right? Yeah, he sang the barbershop <laughs> music. I that record, it doesn't really hold up as well as I wished it would. But it doesn't what, hold up badly for their oeuvre. It's pretty good. It blew my fucking mind when I first heard it, though. Like it sounded that was the like, John Frusciante guitar. Yeah, yeah, it sounded so cool, and I was so excited, and I just expected <laughs> him. I was like, how could anybody not love this? <laughs> this is gonna blow Grandpa's mind. Oh, Grandpa Whitney, he's gonna love it so you like much. Music, you played the trumpet. Check this out. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I think for him that was a definite why not. Was, not a. It's good. That was a why not for sure. <laughs> So speaking of Cyborg, he is featured very prominently on the cover. He's all cyborged up, looks like his old self. Mm -hmm. The issue is called Victor Victorious, which is a play on the movie Victor Victoria. I wrote down the title, it was like, Victor Victorious. Is he though? Like, his whole thing that he does in this issue is, I mean, I guess he doesn't die when he gets operated on, but that's pretty much it. Then he gets his old robot-y looking parts put back on, and he's bittersweet about it. Yeah, so I was telling you earlier, I got my notes template mixed up with the Defenders one, and uh-huh. I was starting to write down that Cyborg is the sucker for this issue, <laughs> because maybe the victory of which the cover is alluding to is his sudden and very surprising realization that um, it's not what's on the outside that counts, but it's what's on the inside. Because he does seem to just suddenly be like, after his human-looking skin melts off, he's like, you know what? I'm totally cool with this. Yeah. And I was like, what? No, it doesn't make any sense, and it wasn't enough of an arc, and that whole storyline, there seemed to be no point to it. It didn't last long enough to make any real points, and he's back where he started, and yeah, over the course of like three issues, he went from crying with happiness that he no longer had robot looking parts to having those parts melt off and being really upset that nobody got to see him with his his new non robot looking parts to being like, yeah, I guess I'm pretty great either way. Very abrupt. Yeah, very abrupt and really to no effect. There was, it bothered me. So he's the sucker. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Which pains me because I really like Cyborg. But... I really do too. Also, looks like uh, somebody else really likes Cyborg. We get Sarah 2, his physical trainer, Dr. Sarah Charles. But I'm just going to call her Sarah 2 because it looks like they're setting her up to be maybe the next love interest for Cyborg. Which I have kind of mixed thoughts on. I was frustrated with the Sarah Sims relationship just never taking off. It's fits and starts and it's like, oh, okay, now they're totally on track, but they never quite have a romantic relationship, but they keep hinting that they're going to. And just in general, I'm tired with all of the holding patterns in this book. So to an extent, it's nice to see them move on to something else. On the other hand, it's really unsatisfying that 
there were all of these hints that there might be an interracial relationship. And then they're like, no, we're not going to do that. We'll introduce someone of his own race for him to date because that that's what we should do. Mm-hmm. It seems like a cop out. Yeah, I, I agree. It seemed like that was where things were going with, with those two. And That being said, the other thing that was weird about the cyborg relationship with Sarah Sims, in addition to the fact that it never quite seemed to actually be a relationship, was I actually had a listener point this out. We have talked a lot about the age difference between Terry Long and Donna. There's got to be a similar age difference between Sarah and Victor if he's a teenager and she is a teacher. Because you need to go through pretty serious education for that. So that's one age difference. Hmm. But Sarah, too, is a doctor. Even more And he's still a teenager. Mm -hmm. That's got to be a pretty different relationship and a different... I mean, the thing about the Terry Long-Donna relationship is in addition to that, there's a power dynamic that's awkward because he was her teacher, which is just creepy. Mm -hmm. I don't think we have that with the cyborg relationship, but... It is weird that they never really address the age difference thing. Yeah, I. it's funny that that never occurred to me. I wonder if that's my own like bias in there, right? I think that certainly, for me, I know that played a role in it. When yeah. I had it pointed out to me, I was like, oh, shit, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, part of it is they are treated more like, like Cyborg is treated more like an adult, I think, and doesn't have the name girl in his name. Mm-hmm. But, I mean... They're both teenagers. Or if they're not teenagers, they should just take the word teen out of the title of the book. I mean, they changed the title of the book. It seems like if they were going to change it, they could have just changed it to New Titans. But they kept the teen and dropped the new. So, I don't know. What happened? What happened indeed? One thing that happened is that Jericho is now an official member of the Teen Titans. About time, I say. I didn't know that he wasn't yet. He, they didn't unveil his poster, so... <laughs> he doesn't have a subway poster of himself, so I guess he wasn't. In a lot of ways, it seems like in terms of membership, there is a very odd protocol that they have for initiating new members. Because it is a 14-issue probation period that Jericho was on, and they had a similar one for Terra. Mm-hmm. In a lot of ways, they're like the opposite of the Defenders, where the Defenders have no team roster, so if you're hanging out with them for an afternoon, you're a Defender. But for the Titans, you can be hanging out with them, fighting crime alongside them for over a year, and you're not a member of the team. Living in the Titan Tower, in Jericho's case. Both extremes are uncomfortable if you think of it like in the terms of a romantic relationship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The defenders are like, hey, we're totally going steady. I know we just made out. But... <laughs> and then the new the Teen Titans are like, whoa, 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 let's not put a label on this. Yes, you moved into my house. I know it's been 14 months, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, let's not rush things, okay? This is my friend. <laughs> very commitment averse, yeah. Yeah, but I'm glad they made him officially a member now. He dances like crazy and picks up uh, Beast Boy and twirls him around. That's kind of a fun moment. It's a totally fun moment because the panel before that, he has like uh, Jack Nicholson in The Shining crazy in his face. I think they were trying to draw him really happy, but it came out like... I think there was maybe some confusion because I got excited because normally when we see a close-up of him having the lemur eyes, it means he's about to say 
contact and yeah. yeah take over somebody's body i thought as a celebration he was gonna make dick do a silly dance again punch himself <laughs> punch himself in the face <laughs> like oh i'm a member great oh why are you hitting yourself nightwing classic jericho yeah dr clyburn has a terrible bedside manner yeah I would not want, like, I mean, I get that she is probably a very competent surgeon. She's apparently one of the best in the world, which is why maybe she feels like she doesn't need to deal with that aspect of her patients. But when you are rushing somebody to the hospital in an ambulance, you don't say to them, I don't know if you're going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Or, and I'm praying for you. Both bad. Both bad thing. And I guess it totally makes sense that Star Labs is the only place equipped to deal with the technical nature of his his injuries Mm -hmm. but man she is really dismissive of jersey hospitals yeah this comic book tends to be dismissive of jersey in general there's i mean they make it a point that that's always where the fearsome however many have their headquarters Mm -hmm. because nothing good comes from there yeah it's a real big apricot (laughs) no no we established that's seattle oh yeah that's right (laughs) i forgot it's a big durian Oh, man. Smelled bad. It's not a good fruit. I hear they taste good. I don't want to because I've smelled them. The taste is okay, but you do get... Not not worth it. You do get the sock, smelly socks thing from the smell in the taste. And then the texture is very um, slippery and custardy, which is bad. Dirty sock custard? No thanks. Take a hike, durians. There was a weird moment in this where after Simon with a P gets kidnapped by Harbringer and the Monitor, it's just this one panel that is basically a house ad for the Crisis on Infinite Earth series. And I get that it's a tie-in, but damn, that was jarring. It's also been a minute since I've read that, and by a minute, I mean decades. Would Simon play a role in it? Yeah. Okay. At this point in it, the monitor is just going around and picking up various heroes and villains from all over the place and going to use them in a conflict or something. I'm used to the product placement, if you we can call it that, being a lot more subtle, like a little joke yeah. or something. And this has the font from Crisis and everything in the guy's <laughs> word bubble, like the title font. And the Harbinger is saying... Three months from now shall begin the crisis on infinite Earth. Yeah. Yeah. It came across as really, like, shilling, you know? Would have been nice to have a little more subtlety in that, and it kind of took me out of the comic book for for a minute. Especially something about that in three months this comic book comes out. It's like, yeah, I fucking get it. You could have just said soon, you know? Maybe they needed, like, a... You know how sometimes if you set a deadline for yourself... You get something done. Yeah. Know. No, I would never get anything done if I didn't set deadlines to for myself and and hold myself to them. Mm-hmm. Just practicing accountability. I guess so. It's a cool panel, despite its it, uh, jarring nature. I especially like that it's from... Well, I mean, it is from the reader's perspective, but what you see of Simon is just the top of his dome. Yeah, so it's like we're looking over the top of his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fun panel, but it pissed me off. It was drawing. I mean, I guess it's effective. It does kind of make me want to reread Crisis on Infinite Earth because I do not remember that series hardly at all. Yeah, me neither. It's been a long time. I had somebody ask if we were going to cover it on the show, 
because it is Wolfman and Perez, and it is a Teen Titans tie-in to an extent, and that pretty much every DC comic is. And I thought about it, and then I thought about writing a previously on for any issue of that after issue number one, and it thought of it just made my head want to explode. Mm -hmm. So, nope. Anything else you want to talk about, or can we get into the uh, minutiae? I think the minutiae should uh, cover the rest of it. Okay, well... Looks like it's time for some minutia. Rick, would you mind singing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Corey? Yeah? What were your favorite sound effects in this issue? Well, it's technically not a sound effect, but we did talk about it a few times, and it's when Gizmo says, What happened? <laughs> After his head gets, um... I would love it if that were a sound effect. I wish they had done it in big, crazy letters so I could use it. <laughs> I also liked it when, uh, when Shimmer got bonked in the head with one of Robin's discs. I think that made a ring. That was a pretty good one. We get some different sound effects in this one, and I think it's because there's a different art team. Or relatively different. It's been the same for the past few issues, but it's still Chuck Patton. And it's uh, Bob LePan instead of Ben Oda for the lettering. And I really, really liked when Neutron does one of his Neutron claps. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's doing the Neutron dance. I had that same thought when I was reading that. But it makes the noise, Scrublamo! Scrublamo. And that is exactly the kind of sound effect that ties in with his ridiculous villain from a radio drama in the 30s accent. All right, the shadow. If I, if you don't back away from these legal briefs that I got here, then it's Scrublamo for yous. Very good. Yeah. So I liked Scrublamo. I also liked the brap spack of mm -hmm. uh, Mammoth getting punched through two oil tankers. Not one, but two. Yeah. So those were both pretty good noises. Mm -hmm. In general, there were some good noises in there, but those were my favorites. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was your Aqualad? Yeah, both Speedy and Aqualad were a little challenging in this book because all of the Titans, I felt, acquitted themselves pretty well, so it's going to get down to a little bit of hair splitting. Mm -hmm. For the Aqualad, I went with Jericho because I thought he had the most impact in terms of messing up the other team mm -hmm. and which also led to him finally getting his stripes as it were yes and i think that if it were not him they would not have been able to subdue either jinx with her nonsense powers or potentially shimmer with her nonsense powers he first infiltrated the team through jinx and got her knocked out and then held shimmer in place while she was subdued by taking over her body i also had jericho and uh, in part because you know welcome to the team buddy mm-hmm Good job. Did a fun dance. Would have been a little bit better if he had made somebody else do a fun dance and punch themselves in the face. And the person I wish he had done that to was my choice for Speedy, which was, perhaps predictably, Beast Boy. Yep. He was an effective fighter in this issue, which I appreciated. But there were a couple of things I had to dock him for. Being a sexist jerk. Yep. I got him for that with the whole Starfire comment. Yes, Dick makes a comment, something to the effect of, hey, hands off my girl, and 
Beast Boy interrupts and is like, Hey, I thought you said you'd give her to me. Gross. Gross. Uncalled for and gross. Also, he's a bad friend to Cyborg. When Cyborg is recovering from his wounds, yes, I understand they have a playful banter teasing relationship, but maybe if someone has just suffered serious emotional distress based on their appearance, you don't say, yeah, I like him bald. Makes him even dumber looking than before. Mm-hmm. I mean, talking about him in the third person while he's sitting right there isn't great either. And then following that up with just not making any sense. This was one of the most confusing panels in the book. Right up there with the big apricot is, <laughs> apropos of nothing, he has just said the thing about I like him bald makes him look even dumber looking than before. Terry and Wonder Girl have some back and forth where Terry's like, I don't know, sometimes women go crazy for bald-headed men. What do you think, love of my life? And she says, you try that, and I'll look up Don King. And then Beast Boy has a suddenly shocked expression on his face and says, I never even saw the way you looked. I'm sorry, Vic. For you. I don't know what the fuck that means. Mm. Like, is that supposed to be more playful banter? The shocked look on his face doesn't match that. Nor does Vic's response, which is, it's okay, Logan. I've been doing some thinking. Like, it seems like it's starting off with Gar either sassing Vic or saying something along the lines of, you know, I never really see color type Mm -hmm. of thing, but with robot parts. But then that it ends with, I'm sorry. And then it's ellipses. It's for you. Is that supposed to be a burn? I couldn't tell either. I was puzzling over it a bit. I think he... Was initially, yeah, saying something along the lines of, like, hey, we're such good buddies, I never noticed how you looked. And then just, like, feels embarrassed or something. And, and tries, tries to turn to... it into a joke, but doesn't understand how jokes work. Right, yeah. Yeah, I guess that would be in character. Either way, it's it's inappropriate and poor communication. That's kind of Beast Boy's thing. It really is. And in addition to that, we talked earlier about the sound effect it makes when he punches Mammoth through two ta- oil tankers. He sank two oil tankers. I had the same. I had a concern <laughs> about that too. And that's like, not good for the harbor, dude. It's not good for anything. It's not good for the passengers on that board or the whoever's working on those ships. Like, you can't just do that shit. Boo. Bad job. Although impressive. Well, we have a two for two. All right. Next to good choices. Speaking of good choices, who made some good sartorial choices? Sartorially speaking, which fashion choices in this issue do you feel are worthy of note? Yeah, the main thing I made a note of, and it's actually maybe a little subtle, is what I like to call Simon's triangle bangle. And he's got a little uh, bracelet with a giant, like, triangle like charm, like charm bracelet, with just one big triangle hanging off of it. On I never three. even noticed that. Let's take a look at it. That's pretty cool. Oh, totally. Well, that's fun. Do you think maybe he ganked that off of Jinx? Maybe. I don't know. Like, she's just got a lot of bangles. Like, maybe you just swipe one. You're right. His is silver. Almost looks like it might be like a zipper pull that's on his. Do you think he could just unzip his whole arm? I don't know. That'd be gross. Isn't it some weird stuff? Either way, yeah, that is that is an interesting choice. I had not noticed that. Mm-hmm. I had a couple of things I wanted to talk about. There's Neutron's outfit, which I don't think we've seen before. Yep. Although, I also feel like we've seen it a million times. Yep. It is as generic as he is as a character, with the exception of his fun 
accent. It could be there's a guy in the Legion of Superheroes named Wildfire who looks a lot like that. There's a guy named the Human Bomb who looks like that. And he looks like he could be just pretty much any bad guy's henchman in that outfit. It is not a distinctive look. Good colors, though. It is good colors. The other thing, which was just a little moment that I wanted to point out, is that there is a character who either is or is dressed like Art Carney from The Honeymooners, uh, who is fleeing in terror and saying, Hey, Ralphie boy, where's Ralphie? Yep. I had that, uh, and we're not quite there, but maybe this is a segue to it as a timestamp. Oh. Not because (laughs) The Honeymooners was from the 80s, but when a little research led me to a collaboration between Joe Piscopo and Eddie Murphy that was a Honeymooners rap. Oh, no. Yeah, it's not. I don't want to hear that. You don't want to hear it. (laughs) So bad. It sounds really, really terrible. But it came out in 1985. (laughs) That is a very good timestamp. Yes, let's segue into timestamp. All right. There was one of my favorite quotes from a book that was about the history of Saturday Night Live. That was the oral history of Saturday Night Live. I forget who said it, but it was Eddie Murphy's success went to Joe Piscopo's head. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of timestamps to choose from in this. My favorite was the scaffolding on the outside of the Statue of Liberty. Because the Statue of Liberty was undergoing renovations in the mid-80s, which I mostly remember from a little film called Remo Williams, The Adventure Begins. Mm. They had a great fight scene that was on the outside of that. I loved and watched it again and still love Remo Williams. Oh, wow. I haven't seen that since, uh, gosh, since I was a kid, probably. We should watch it again. Unless we watched it. We did. We did. I think. I think think we did. Mostly the movie holds up really well. I really like Fred Ward. I wish he had gotten more of a shot as an action hero. I think this was his only starring role in that capacity, except for maybe some of the Tremors sequels. He's great in it. Wilford Brimley's in it. Kate Mulgrew plays the young love interest in it before she was Janeway. Hmm. The downside is Joel Grey plays a very elderly North Korean gentleman, which is not great. Mm-hmm. Other than that, fun movie. Yep. And yeah, timestamp because uh, scaffolding on the outside of the Statue of Liberty. Nice. The other timestamps from it were a uh, mention of Three Mile Island, mm-hmm. which had a meltdown, I believe, early 80s. Late 70s. I remember people talking about it when I was a little kid. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in there. And a reference to Don King, who uh, was very prominent in the early 80s. And really, that's a timestamp that could be from a lot of different eras. But uh, I believe was just supposed to be a reference to somebody with a lot of hair, maybe? Yeah, big hair. Yeah. Murderer. He was a murderer. Don King was a murderer. Yeah. I thought he was getting in trouble for, like... Uh, embezzling or something. Oh, that too. Oh. Do you have any other timestamps? I didn't, but uh, the category is still kind of a split category with show and tell. Oh. And I did have the uh, the newsman from page 15 who thinks he's still broadcasting the news, so he's like giving the play-by-play, like, <laughs> now the building's about to fall on me, or whatever it is. And the other guy's like, hey, knock it off. That was pretty fun. It's a police car thrown directly at us. We're ducking now, trying to avoid being... <laughs> Knock it off, Baron. We're off the air. And that's a Jeff Z. Baron for Wubbs Cable News. Same station that airs Bethany Snow. Mm-hmm. 
Don't care for that station. No, I think Brother Blood owns the whole operation. Probably. Seems like Baron's probably in cahoots with him. Wouldn't surprise me. Mm. Baron Blood. Ooh. That's a Marvel guy who I think is a Nazi vampire. Wow. Yeah, not a good guy. No? Sounds pretty bad. <laughs> yep. Corey, let's take this party to the Bozone. In this issue, what instance of one character calling another character a Bozo, either literally or metaphorically, do you feel is worthy of highlight? Well, I think we gotta go with page four, Natty B. <laughs> There are a few Natty Bees in this issue. We... Oh, yeah? There are a few... Oh! There are a few Natty Bees in this issue. We got a Bozo count of three going on. Dang. Three different Bozos. Two, I believe, are from Gizmo, who also has a turkey count of two. I counted two turkeys. I kept track of that for you. Mm-hmm. Dead meat turkey. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have him calling Neutron bucket brains, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty fun. And Neutron had one of the bozos. So, a lot of bozos going on. Also, some pretty fun disses on Simon with a P, mostly from Neutron. Glow Dome, I know, came up. Mm-hmm. I think, like, uh, Brain Boy. He also calls Superman Stupid Man. Burn. Sick burn. And that's the bozone. I, uh, I think we also got to give uh, Simon props for referring to Dr. Light as an antiquated idiot. Pretty good. Yep. Accurate. Get with the times. Be a modern idiot, Dr. Light. No can do. Apparently not. And incidentally, we do have a mebby count of one. One mebby in this issue. It's pretty low. It is from Cyborg. He was pretty out of it for most of the issue. I get that he didn't have time to pronounce maybe in a bizarre and really inexplicable way. No. He'll make time again in the future, I'm sure. I'm sure, yeah. Corey, what was your favorite panel in this issue? Oh, uh, page 16, there's the, the scene when Jinx slash Jericho does a real good blast of uh, Neutron. Let's take a look at that. As with uh, many of the panels that I choose, it's uh, chosen for the kind of impact of, or the you know kind of graphic quality of mm-hmm. it. And this one I really like because it's got this like bright i don't know pink or magenta background neutron is is flying in towards the towards the viewer fully upside down if he had a open faceplate i bet that his mouth would be in a salbucema trapezoid with the spittle flying out as people tend to do when they are tossed upside down in that manner so it's a nice panel once again jinx's outfit too busy a lot going on there Mm mm-hmm too many bangles. Too many bangles. See-through cape doesn't do anybody any favors. Very unflattering. So that was, I think, my backup, though. It's a, it's a good panel, but I, I think my favorite one is it's kind of a split or two panels that are next to each other on page 21. And it's uh, the Titans looking happy and victorious. That, that's not happy and victorious. That's menacing and smirking. It looks much more menacing in your copy because the uh, I think on this one the print got a little a little weird. They look a lot happier in the trade paper. I wonder version. if that was a correction on their part because in, in this one they really look like they are smirking menacingly. I had this as my favorite panel and I called it malicious teens. Um, 
Because they are. They look like they're just bullying the shit out of Gizmo. And their dialogue kind of matches that. Dick is saying, hey, Gizmo, come on, say those words. We're just waiting to hear. And Gizmo takes a bunch of guesses. And I would have to, too, because I don't know. He doesn't go with the obvious of saying, I I love you. (laughs) Will you marry me? (laughs) Which is a shame. He instead goes with, uh, surrender? White flag? Uncle? I give? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Beast Boy for sure looks menacing because he's kind of doing that, like, pounding your fist into your palm Mm -hmm. gesture. But there's something about the grins on both Wonder Girl and Dick's faces that are also just like, oh. And even Starfire's eyebrows are like, they're black-fired up. Mm -hmm. Uh, She's got her sister's eyebrows going in that panel. Yeah, they look potentially cruel. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I liked the panel, uh, but it was, it really, those are, those are some teenage bullies bullying poor Gizmo. All he did was try to steal a lot of money and take over a city and blow people up. That's what Gizmos do. Yeah. Well, they also do drive around in that little toy sports car. It's adorable. That's true, too. They make a bow and arrow out of a paper clip. Hey, they're talented. Mm-hmm. Just don't get them wet after dark. Don't get them wet any at a time. Don't feed them after midnight. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. There's a lot of rules. Good correction. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Also, somebody hearing this could have gotten it wet. Yeah, like, no, that's also a bad idea. Man, pets are so hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, it's just good rules. Don't get them wet. Yep. And don't feed them after After, too late at night. Yeah. Maybe don't feed them after dark because they'll fuck with your alarm clock. I've seen it happen. I've seen Um, it happen a hundred times. They'll fuck with your alarm clock. They'll, you'll think it's not midnight yet, but you know what? It's past midnight. And then, and then you get some stripes on your hands, and then also a weird sexy lady gremlin in the sequel, and then, like, <laughs> an electricity gremlin. A lot of gremlins going on. You get one that uh, talks like Tony Randall. Mm-hmm. You don't yeah, need that punk, shit. Punk rock gremlin. Yeah. It, it's it's just such a headache. Yeah. And so, they, they will try to, to, to kill and eat you. Yeah, I, well, it's clear. Yeah, so... Don't get them wet. Yep. Don't feed them too late. Nope, and make them say those words you've been waiting to hear. Mm-hmm. I surrender. <laughs> oh, right, that one. Well, I think that leaves us with just one question we must answer. Corey, in the year of our Lord, 1985, and the month of our Lord... October. Wapoot! What was Aqualad probably up to, Corey? Wapoot! Yeah, so uh, we talked about a few times Aqualad's interest in technology. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically gaming it up and, you know, that sort of thing. But also on the back end of things, messing with a little programming. Oh, you know, really? he's writing code? Goofing around with some hardware, that, that kind of thing. A real curious, mm, yeah, you know, agile mind. Getting all up in the command line. Yeah. So the GNU project, GNU project, uh, started in 1983. Computer scientist out of MIT, uh, Richard Matthew Stallman, RMS for mm. short. Kind of, kind of a big deal in the nerd world. Sure. So yeah, Aqualad had reached out to him, like, hey, here's some stuff I'm trying. Like, and uh, they, they formed a friendship. Oh, that's nice. And um, they've been corresponding kind of a lot. And uh, there were some rumblings in the news about uh, later in in the month, mid October, that uh, Intel's uh, famed 32-bit 386 chip was like this the big deal microprocessor mm-hmm. that that came out and 
know, was a game changer in a lot of ways. But along with the fact that that was happening came this concern of over commercialization of the software that would go with this hardware. And so there was a lot of uh, concern around that, that, that accessibility would be limited and things like that. In fact, the, the motto of an organization that uh, RMS with the urging of Aqualad formed on the 5th of October in Massachusetts, the Free Software Foundation oh. had, the, had the motto, uh, Free Software, Free Society. Oh, and uh, so it's just one little way that uh, that Aqualad contributed to a healthier and more equitable world was by getting his his buddy Richard to start really getting concerned about these things and actually forming an organization to um to go ahead and propagate that idea and make software more accessible to the rest of the world. Well, good for him. Yeah. In addition to his interest in science, Aqualad also has an interest in the arts. He had been hanging out with some artistic types recently. Uh, had been uh, putting back his old beatnik costume from when he helped infiltrate Ding Dong Daddy Dowd and his gang of uh, criminal ruffians. What, um, wet and Wild? Well, wet and Wild was when he was in Hippie Land. Oh, the beatnik one was a different The beatnik one. one was a different one. And he also had some hipstery tendencies when he was thwarting the Mad Mod. He's been through a lot, but he, he went through a bit of a beatnik phase, and he brought that out and was hanging out with uh, some some of the art intelligentsia in New York. And he was at a wine tasting, and, you know, gotta stay hydrated, so he had maybe a little bit too much wine. Mm. And as you had pointed out earlier, he was pretty upset with the French government because of their role in the sinking of the uh, Rainbow Warrior, oh, the right, Greenpeace yeah. boat. Mm -hmm. So when he was a bit in his cups, he uh, started spouting his mouth off a little bit and uh, about the, French the French government, government. and mm. and France in general and he's like oh, I can't believe they suck the rainbow warrior um, I'm gonna I don't know what I'm gonna do but I think if I'm ever in Paris I'm gonna give those bridges such a splashing oh and he was he was very adamant about the fact that he was just going to splash some national monuments so hard. They were going to get so damp. Word of that spread around the arts community, which is why the artist Christos and his partner, Jean Claude, undertook an art project where they wrapped the Pont Neuf, the oldest bridge in France, in 40,000 square meters of synthetic sand-covered fabric. Oh my god. As an art project, but also to protect it from malicious splashing by Aqualad. Wow. This art project was a big success, and it was maybe one of the contributing factors in getting Mikhail Gorbachev to travel outside of the USSR for the first time in his, uh, in his political career and visit Paris to... Uh, to check out that uh that art project of the wrapped bridge. Dang. That may have led to the eventual glasnost and the fall of the Berlin Wall that uh he helped oversee. All because Aqualad had a few too many cups of wine and threatened to get a little splashy. Dang. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to Whew. in October 1985. Good month. Good, good month, good year, good times. Indeed. 
That was also, Lisa informs me, the month when she was conceived, but I am assured that Aqualad had nothing to do with that. Seems highly unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> well, this has been a real treat. Sure. Fun, uh, fun uh, doing this thing together? Yep. yep. Speaking of being in your cups a little bit, I've noticed my accent's starting to come out a little. Oh no. Oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to get into touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you would like to leave a review. Yeah, why not do that? There's a lot of podcatchers out there. You can uh, leave us a review on one of them. We got one recently. I I haven't been reading them aloud because I don't usually have my phone out when we're doing these. But I can remember this one verbatim. Five-star review on whatever iTunes is calling itself now. Just uh, two words. Perfect. Period. Damn. Yeah. How about that? All right. Wait, is the period spelled out? Yes. And then there's a period after it. Ah, wow. Pretty good. Well, thank you. You're welcome. Listener. Oh, yeah. No, them. Yeah, good job. I don't know that that's accurate, but uh, I'll take it. Any day. Thanks. And so, you know, if you would like to leave us a review, that's the one to beat. (laughs) (laughs) Ha ha. Um, it's not a contest. I really appreciate all of the positive reviews we've gotten. I'm just able to remember that one off the top of my head because it was two words. Thank you so much. And yeah, if you'd like to leave one, please do. It helps people find the show and then we get more listeners and then, uh, onward and, uh, you know, soon we'll take over the world. Sure. With an iron fist. You know. As one does. Gloved in velvet. Crushed velvet. That sounds, sounds pretty hot. Yeah, I know. I mean, your hand would get... Warm, really but warm. also pretty hot. Pretty hot. <laughs> if you would like to contribute to us monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash ttwasteland. If you do, you get access to a whole bunch of uh, bonus content. There's a bunch of podcasts. Uh, there's some videos that I made. Um, there's a bunch of random audio stuff on there uh, that we've recorded as bonuses over the past couple of years. And you also get access to the monthly podcast that Lisa and I record called What the Duck, a podcast most foul, but with a W because he's a duck. That's the full name of the show. That's about Howard the Duck. We were a little bit behind on that. We recorded one a couple days ago, and we're going to put two mo- two out this month to make up for the one that we missed. Thanks for bearing with us. Um, yeah, we're on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr. Mm. Instagram. LinkedIn. That's not true. Fine. Friendster. I can change that, though. MySpace. You want to put us on LinkedIn? Yeah. All right, do it. I dare you. Okay. Yeah, so now you can do business with us. And business is good. (laughs) Don't threaten them. What? That's not a threat. (laughs) It sounded menacing the way you said it. Uh, It just comes across that way because I'm a teen. Ha! At heart. Thanks for listening. (laughs) And if you did, maybe you're scratching yourself, your head right now. Maybe you're scratching yourself right now. I don't know. Or maybe you're scratching your head and saying, what happened? Nobody knows. Nobody. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And they knew it.